Welcome to the Georgetown Christian Church Podcast. Join us for worship at 9 and 10.30 a.m. on Sundays. Information about groups, studies, events, and electives is on our website at georgetownchristian.org. Hey, good morning, Georgetown Christian. If you would grab your Bibles, I want us to turn together to the fourth gospel. That's the book of John. And if you're new at turning in Bibles... Uh, here's how you get there quickly. You're going to just like split your Bible right in half. You'll probably land in Psalms or Isaiah like I did. And then you'll take this half over here and you're just going to split it in half. You'll probably be in Matthew. And you just want to go forward. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. Probably called him J-Dog. I'm just guessing. I don't know. He was a really close friend to Jesus. I'm sure there was a great nickname. We just don't have it recorded. So we're going to John chapter 4. And uh, this whole series, Let's Eat, is centered around, okay, probably Thanksgiving. Probably you're, you're all thinking, well, I'm going to eat this month because it's Thanksgiving and we're going to eat next week. We are, and that is true. But it's centered around this idea that Jesus, uh, he answers his disciples uh, when they come back from going to town to get food for Jesus uh, because we'll, we're going to find him at a well today and we hear that he's weary Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Now, we believe at Georgetown Christian, it's it's also our food. It's also our job to do the work that God has given us to do. We believe that that work is bearing his image as Christ is formed in us by our reading of the word and then the Holy Spirit's transforming us into the likeness of Jesus, whom Paul calls the head of the church. And then Paul says that as we do that, as we grow in maturity, we'll grow together in unity and then together up into the head who is Jesus. So we really need to be about doing those works or we're going to have letters written to us like the whole New Testament is composed of almost where Paul is like, you guys need to quit and you guys need to cut it out and y'all need to quit and cut it out and really need to be focused on becoming image bearers, reflections of Jesus to all the world that you'll encounter, thereby being ambassadors. So we believe that that's our role at Georgetown Christian It sounds like our mission statement. We exist to turn everyday people into fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. So in an effort to do that, we gather on a Sunday morning, we open up the word and we invite God to move in us as an assembly and as an individual. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the opportunity you give us to gather in your name to magnify and lift up your name, to drink the body and the blood, to to acknowledge that we are your body and we are redeemed by your blood. Now indwell us, Father, with your Holy Spirit, sent to guide us into truth, to convict us of sin, to help us when we don't know what to say under persecution. Father, would you now transform us ever more increasingly into the image and likeness of your son Jesus by the preaching of your word. Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So we want to say in November and probably December, let's eat. And we want to remember that every one of these conversations, here's how we're going to draw Jesus' words back to what's going on in our lives. Every one of the opportunities we have to sit down across from someone else may be an opportunity for you and I to bear the image of Jesus, to share a word of hope, to express what it is he's done in our hearts and lives in a way that connects with people who are hurting and lost and broken and searching. And we're going to see exactly that today as Jesus meets a woman at a well. And you may have heard the story a hundred times, but I want you to hear the story this way today. If you're a believer who's been taught John 4 a dozen times, I could probably learn from you. But I want us to hear it this way. I want us to hear it for the way that Jesus approaches someone who's lost, broken, and hurting. And I want us to hear three responses you and I may have. You may have all three. You may have one. That's between you and God. And I think the three things that we're going to see and the possible three actions we may have ourselves are to be looking for a trip, a talk, and a testimony. So those are the three points we'll hang our hats on, but we're going to go through this verse by verse, some of them in big clumps, and I will be skipping a large section that we'll address later. So let's start in John chapter 4, verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now, Jesus, to be clear, is not running from resistance, but Jesus is mindful of God's timing. In John chapter 2, we see Jesus addressing his own mother, saying, woman, you don't understand, it is not yet my time. Jesus is aware of God's timing, and he allows God's timing to determine the trip that he takes. So Jesus didn't have to for the sake of travel, but he had to for the sake of Samaritans. So Samaria lies directly, beneath, uh, directly between Jerusalem and Galilee. Samaria lies directly between them. And in order to make the shortest trip possible, one to the other, a person could simply pass through Samaria and save loads of time. But what often happened, because the Samaritans were loathed by the Jews, a more common route for them to travel was to go across the River Jordan into Perea and thereby avoid all contact with that despised tribe. Now, while this sounds absurd... It is, uh, but you can probably just imagine, as we're hanging on the hook of a trip here, you can probably imagine a place that in the last week you've avoided, and in the week to come, also, you will try to avoid. Is there a place like that for you? For me, it's Walmart. I want nothing to do with getting stuck in that place. But maybe there's another place where maybe you avoid it so specifically because it's not just a place, but it's also about a time, a specific time at that place. And that's probably because you know there are going to be some people there that you don't necessarily want to talk to. Well, that would accurately describe all of Samaria for every Jew ever for the history of time. They don't want anything to do with it. They despise them. But I wonder if in our own lives, if there's a trip that you and I need to take, 
to a certain place at a certain time on behalf of Jesus in an effort to share compassion or hope in a place that is hurting. I'm moving on to verse 5. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Now, just three chapters ago, John had said that the Word became, say it with me, Georgetown, the Word became flesh, and he made his dwelling among us. Now, John is right here again saying, Jesus is a human. Georgetown, let's make sure I know you're awake. Say that with me. Jesus is a human. Now, we're going to try that again in 45 minutes. Are you guys still going to be awake? <laughs> you're laughing because you hope that it's not true. And I agree. I don't, I don't want to talk that long. Okay, so just three chapters ago, John had said that he came in the flesh. He is a human. Paul emphasized the fact that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He become like a servant. John and Paul and the entire of the New Testament agree what we'll celebrate in December, that God became a man. Jesus was a human. He was weary and he was thirsty. And so he sits by the well. Now the Samaritan woman is about to encounter not only Jesus the prophet, but Jesus the human man. Jesus who had to go through Samaria. Jesus who had to take a trip. Is there a trip that you have to take for the express purpose of encountering a people or a person who needs the hope of Jesus in their life? Now, so the sixth hour is important here because you've heard this taught a hundred times, then you know the sixth hour is actually noon. So they didn't have to deal with any uh, rotating their sundials or anything like that. There's no daylight savings. It is just measured from 6 a.m. to noon, and that would be the sixth hour. So in this setting of this encounter of this woman with the human Jesus, she is meeting him at high noon. And this is important for her life story as we continue through the text because she could be there because of an emergency, but she's probably in there at noon because the morning is when most people drew their water. And if they had to at night, they would draw it again. But if you go at noon, who's not there? The whole town. Or all of the people that would go to that well for water. They would not be there. So she was intentionally, socially isolated. All right, now we're in verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Now, Jesus is alone with the woman at the well. And he knows all of the details of this woman's entire life, as we'll see. But even by the social cues of her behavior... Remember, she's either there because of an emergency or because something is off. Now, let's say you're a bystander and you see day after day, because Sychar is a very small town, you see day after day, this woman goes to the well at noon and she returns home far before anybody else is coming back to that same well. Jesus knows that something is off. You and I could notice 
that something is off. You and I can notice, even with our, our coworkers, our neighbors, our friends, our family, we can notice when something is off. It's that time of year when if you see a hard freeze warning, you run outside, even if it's during the 10 o'clock news, and you unscrew the hose from the spigot. That's kind of a once in a, once in a season thing. But what about the leaves in the gutter? Do you want to clear those in the daytime or the nighttime? Uh, unless you're just terrified of heights, you probably want to clear it in the daytime so you can see exactly how far you have to fall. It, it would be unusual, is what I'm getting at, if your neighbor chose to clean their gutters out at night. The same with the trash. Now, some of our neighbors may be working uh, an unusual shift that makes them take the trash out at night. But how many of us might have noticed neighbors that are taking their trash out every week only really late at night, and it's not because of their work schedule. Is there a possibility that they are isolating themselves socially? And, and I don't mean like somebody who comes into the office and they put fish into the microwave in the break room. That person should be socially isolated. You have lost your microwave privileges. No more fish, no more office, no more microwave. You're all done. Uh, or maybe uh, it might be a person who maybe at school, they were walking into the cafeteria and they spilled their milk or they dumped their tray. And so it's just socially awkward to be around people for a short time. But I'm talking about people that make a habit of avoiding contact with humans. I wonder if there's a trip that you need to take for the purpose of encountering a human in a place where they've chosen to be isolated, but that you can come as an ambassador of hope to shine light into the dark place that they have to live. Jesus' human need for water, because Jesus is a human, was an opportunity to engage a woman who lived that kind of life. She lived in darkness. Friends, we, we all have neighbors and coworkers and fellow students and friends who are going to need a drink of water. They're probably going to need caffeine if they need it like I do, and probably you do. And a lot of them are going to need to eat food. Those may be common opportunities for us to intersect with them in life. It's why we have a series called Let's Eat. And it reminds us that Jesus came to do the will of the one who sent him and to accomplish his work. Likewise, as his ambassadors, we come now to do the will of the one who sends us on behalf of the lost. It is interesting to note that some of uh, the, the, I'm sorry, not some, the person in this story, not Jesus, the Samaritan woman, she is trapped and I don't know if this sounds familiar, but just allow this to come into your mind and see if you can make an association to today with it. She is trapped in a religion that the Samaritans came up with. This is why the Jews hated them. The Samaritans came up with it when God said, you shall not intermarry. And what did they do? They intermarried, but they didn't just intermarry. They intermarried with these people who had other religious traditions with false gods and idols, and they sort of mashed it all together to make this religious mutt. And that's why the Jews hated them. They built a false temple. They came up with a whole bunch of relics and rituals to try to mimic 
the true religion that the Jews had. And this woman is caught up in this. She's born into it. She grows up in it. She has no idea there's something different. And so she's groping in the darkness. How does Jesus address the issues that this woman faces? Let's go on to verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now, the woman points out what, as 21st century people, you and I, we would miss. But there's five things that should be keeping Jesus from this trip entirely and expressly from this moment on this trip. So consider the barriers you and I may also have to cross if God has put on our hearts this morning to make a trip that's similar. So let's go through those really quickly. Number one, a man would not talk to a woman without her husband. Number two, a Jew would never talk to a Samaritan. Number three, further still, a a rabbi like Jesus would never speak to a woman alone. And finally, I said five and now I'm confused. But finally, uh, it was against uh, Jewish custom. It it was against the teaching of the Pharisees. You're not going to find it in the Bible. But it was against the teaching of the Pharisees, the Jewish religious leaders, for a Samaritan to ever, I'm sorry, for a Jew to ever be indebted to a Samaritan. And what did Jesus just do? He asked her for a drink of water, thereby indebting himself to her. She's in a position of power giving water. So Jesus is, according to all of the cultural standards, he's crossing all kinds of barriers and lines of of gender and race and class and religious custom in order to make a trip to this woman to share the gospel, to share the good news. That's why we ask, is there a trip that you or I need to take? We're going to see that in compassion, Jesus does not engage in the the popular religious argument, the debate of the day, whether you're Samaritan or Jew. Jesus does not engage. He sits squarely in the middle in the tension that in our lives may be gender or identity or the crazy mixture of those two, or religion or politics or class. Jesus chooses for the purpose of sharing hope with the hurting to sit in the middle of this tension that she might experience hope. Jesus here was more interested in winning a soul than winning an argument. Let's continue in verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. So it appears that the woman is not really on the same page as Jesus. It appears that Jesus has also begun to steer this conversation off into a more spiritual direction as he knows she has a spiritual need. And she continues to make a defense, pointing to the well of Jacob. 
She continues to make a defense of her Samaritan religion because they point to relics and rituals to say, we do have some standing. And she points to Jesus well. So she sort of starts to put up a defense as Jesus because he knows she needs hope, steers this conversation in the direction of his spiritual need. And this conversation for the next couple of verses, it's going to look like just two ships passing in the night. Jim went to his audiologist, got the latest, greatest Bluetooth version 9000 new hearing aids. The audiologist had come back in two weeks for a follow-up. So two weeks later, Jim comes back. The audiologist says, how do you like your new hearing aids? He says, they're fantastic. They are far beyond anything I ever could have imagined. I can hear every single word, even in noisy situations. And the audiologist says, I, that's great. I bet your family is thrilled. Jim said, I haven't told him yet, but I've changed my will three times. In a similar manner, Jesus and this Samaritan woman are not going to be on the same page for the next little while, but Jesus persists in bringing the conversation back to the good news, the hope that we share in Jesus. So I'm picking up in verse 13. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said, sir, give me this water so that I'll never be thirsty or have to come draw this water Again, and so in spite of the fact that Jesus has turned it spiritual, she still sees this as rather physical. And what most of you and I and our friends and neighbors and co-workers do in our lives is pursue things to fill what Augustine called a God-shaped hole. He says, you have formed, he says this to God, you have formed us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. This is Part of what Jesus means by earthly water being a temporary solution because things are never going to fill the place in our life, in our heart, that we continuously search for. And until we're in a right relationship with Jesus, we will notice, if we sit as an observer of our own lives, we will notice that somewhere with our time, our talent, and our treasure, we are pursuing something to fill that hole. This is why Jesus says he has water welling up to eternal life. Not even a relationship with a spouse can fill the place of the relationship that Christ expects to have, desires to have with each of us. Our ultimate purpose is to know, serve, and worship our creator. Let's go on to verse 16. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Jesus is persistent. He is firm and he is compassionate. Again, his knowledge as a prophet is beyond what you or I will have, but his willingness to sit with someone and to have a talk 
Our second point, a talk. Do you need to take a trip? Do you need to have a talk that looks a little like the one Jesus is having? Where you're willing to sit in a space that is difficult because of tensions brought about maybe by race or gender or class or identity or politics or even religion, are you willing to enter that space to sit there with a vulnerable heart, not taking the bait for the religious arguments that they offer to you, but to sit there and acknowledge that yes, the darkness that you're in is painful, and then to respond with compassion, that is the hope that we have In Jesus, his willingness to sit is perfectly human as well as ours. But how many of us are willing to risk the the discomfort, maybe the hit to our reputation by bringing a conversation about the hope we have in Jesus up? How many of us are going to want to hide behind our need for comfort before our need for safety And we're going to allow neighbors and friends and family and co-workers to sit in a place of darkness, in a place without hope, because we're unwilling to go on a trip or to have a talk that expresses the beliefs that we say here this morning we have. We, We believe that Jesus summed up the law and prophets, and he said that they could all be summed up in two things. You love... Hey, guys, it's been like 20 minutes here, okay? So number one, love... And the, the, uh, the next one's neighbor, okay? So uh, number two, to love your neighbor. You guys are awesome, and at least 15 of you are awake. This is great. So maybe you struggle with what someone's going to think about you, and I would just offer that we have to reprioritize because that view asks a question about how I look in the temporal In just this time right now, here on earth. But there's a whole different reality that we don't acknowledge, and that is the spiritual reality of eternity. So recast that question, how will I look in eternity when there's a wedding feast of the Lamb and we're seated at the table because the blood of Jesus has cleansed us from our sins and we've trusted him alone for our salvation and we're sitting at that table and the dinner is over and the church is united with her, her groom, Jesus, and now we all get to worship Jesus. And imagine, imagine going from that table to that time of worship and you get to take off a crown and lay it before Jesus. Imagine having no jewels in your crown. That's what happens when Satan robs us of the opportunity to live the lives that reflect the change that Christ makes in us. We sang about it this morning. It's in our weakness that he's made strong. So we'll get to then praise Jesus along with all of our brothers and sisters in heaven by saying, here are the lousy, measly works I did, King Jesus. But only if we have a mindset right now that stretches past this into eternity. Our priorities have to be changed to match the priorities of God. It means that we do the best for those that we encounter in light of eternity. So uh, just to make it really intensely practical, 
your coworkers and your friends and students, those who you go to school with, they're gonna come back from Thanksgiving. Now I'm guessing that it's the coworkers and the friends that are gonna experience more stress here. But just talk about this financially for a second. They're going to experience a lot of stress if they're living with some debt that's really their master. They're going to experience stress because they went on a trip that cost money to a place where they needed to have turkey that cost money, and they also then had to take time off work, which costs more of what, Georgetown? Money, okay, and then while you're there, the turkey, the tryptophan hits, you take the nap, you wake up, and your spouse is feverishly scrolling and tapping, and there's like 15 credit cards all laid out on the kitchen table, and you wanna have a mild stroke because you realize Black Friday shopping has started because Christmas is predictable, and it's on the 25th, and are some of you repenting right now of that already in advance? You could just not do it. <laughs> so, so for the one spouse, the one spouse, you're thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to work a gajillion hours to pay for this trip plus Christmas that's now coming. And that neighbor, that friend, that, that person that you know is probably going to come back from Thanksgiving. And they may open up to you in a way that says, I am experiencing a great deal of stress because of finances, but it won't sound just like that. It will just sound like naming off their bills. It will sound like telling you how much gas was wherever they traveled and how many gallons they had to buy and how nobody ate the turkey they bought. And they're going to describe for you the darkness that they live in because they believed the lies of our culture where more is how you fill that hole. And so right there is going to be a door that is open to their very obvious pain. Now, this is a pro tip. Uh, maybe don't say, wow, sounds like you're in debt up to your eyeballs. How's that working for you? That's really flippant. That is not going to build a bridge of relationship. But I wonder if you can say, like I could sure say, man, I have had stress about money. And it seemed like the more I focused on it, the bigger the problem got. You can't just ignore it and go on Black Friday and Cyber Monday's psycho spending sprees. But what if you placed your hope in a different place? You just turn the conversation to something more spiritual, to meet a need that they don't yet know they have because like the Samaritan woman, they're blinded. Are you willing to go on a trip or to have a talk in spite of how uncomfortable that space is going to be, the tension that will be present when you walk into the pain that that person has expressed to you. Let's go on to verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is where the people ought to worship. So the woman has answered with the least amount of information possible. If you have ever raised a toddler, watched someone raise a toddler, or babysat a toddler, and there's a cookie jar, and you hear a big noise in the kitchen, and the toddler's standing amongst broken pieces of cookie jar with cookies all over the floor, and you ask them what happened, they're probably going to say nothing. That's kind of what the Samaritan woman has been saying to Jesus all along, and now she realizes Jesus has entered a deeply intimate place with me, conversationally, relationally. He knows about my life. And what does she do? She tries to bait him into a religious debate. 
She tries to pull him into a conversation that is age old about where Samaritans worship and where Jews worship, and Jesus does not take the bait because when we have done the work of loving someone well, we're not going to take the bait. We're going to let them hand it out, and we're going to acknowledge that it's there, that we're going to be present in that moment, in that time, in that place, in that trip, in that talk, to express the hope and love of Jesus into a problem that every one of us have had. The subject will be changed when the person you're speaking to realizes the space that you're in together is deeply personal to them. But just like Jesus, we can stay focused on the gospel. We don't have to take the bait. All right, this is our last section of verses. This is verse 21 through 26. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. If that's uncomfortable for you, read Galatians and then Romans 9 through 11. Okay, in Matthew chapter 1. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus intentionally and voluntarily reveals his messiahship to a person who believed a mutt religion, who lived in a place that was outcast by the Jews, avoided entirely. Jesus chose to go on a trip to have a talk because he knew that the people who were suffering in the darkness of the deceit of our enemy needed hope. Georgetown, are you willing to be that hope? Will you go on a trip? Will you have a talk? Will you sit in an uncomfortable place conversationally and offer living water, hope for a broken world? It is so amazing that Jesus also reveals right here to this woman only one of four descriptors of God in the whole New Testament offered by Jesus. He says, God is spirit. Now she realizes, and she has this faint glimmer of hope as she gropes through the darkness of the pain of a broken religious system that brings no hope but only works and no hope at all. She has this faint glimmer of hope from Deuteronomy where Moses promised there would be a Messiah who would explain all the things. So in this area, in Sychar and Samaria, Jesus' declaration of his Messiahship was a hint of the good news she had. And it was a hint that was just enough for her to begin to believe. Now, Jesus, this is insane to believe, but he couldn't do this in Judea, in Jerusalem, in the place where the people had the right religion. Because even Luke tells us three different times in Acts about different messiahs. And Josephus tells us four or five times, we just talked about this a couple weeks ago, about all these different messiahs that were around at that time, and they were in Judea, in Jerusalem. And when they would say, I'm the Messiah, people would begin to follow them. And the Roman governors would try to help them maintain peace, which they couldn't do. So they brought the peace of Rome, Pax Romana, which sometimes meant just kill everybody who was really not agreeable. So they made peace, 
But over here in Galilee, over here in Samaria, Jesus could make a statement that wasn't as political. It didn't come with military action. He could make a statement that was purely religious and say, I am the Messiah. Friends, we don't live in a Judea. We don't live in a Jerusalem. There will not be military action when we say, I know the Messiah. I know Jesus. I have hope in my life as broken as it is. We're skipping verses 27 through 38, and that's Jesus' interaction with his disciples and the woman's sum of her interaction and their interaction with Jesus. And we'll address that later, not today. So finally, we've said, do you need to take a trip? Do you need to have a talk? And finally, do you need to share a testimony? This is our last point. It's our last verse. It's verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. She said, he told me all that I ever did. So this is your quiz time, Georgetown. We're going to wrap up and we're going to be done. And I've asked you if you need to take a trip, have a talk or share a testimony. And we're wrapping up now. And I want to just quiz you on everything you've heard about the woman at this well in Samaria. Do you think, you don't have to say this out loud, okay? God knows the answers, all right? Do you think that the woman at the well, her testimony was trusted when she got back into her hometown? Do you think her testimony was trusted because she was of a high social standing? Do you think it's because she had every little religious thing she had to do exactly right? Do do you think it's possible that because of her pure reputation, they believed what she was saying? Friends, we've met a woman who had five husbands and was on number six. And her testimony was powerful enough to bring a whole town out to meet Jesus, to find out about a hope that they've looked for for centuries, and in some cases, to give their lives to Jesus that day. I wonder if in our own lives, we have downplayed what God has done because our mindset is here, and we're only thinking about next year or next weekend and how people might view us. And we have no eye for eternity. We have no eye for the priorities that God has set for us in our lives to love him and love our neighbor. And that means that our mindset has to change when it comes to a testimony, a talk, and a trip. Because if God has touched our lives, we have a testimony. It does not mean that our life is now perfect. It means that God has begun work in our life. And if you have testimony to share, friends, next week is the time. I need you to tell me that you have a testimony to share next week. If you have questions about what that looks like, I need you to talk to me. All right, Georgetown, let's wrap up. I'm going to ask you, do you need to take a trip? Maybe through a Samaria. Maybe it's on the way to where you need to go. And maybe it's at a time you don't want to be there. But maybe God has told you this morning, you need to take a trip for the purpose of having a talk where you share hope the hope that we have in Christ. And you share a testimony that says, you know, the former me was really worried about that. And because of what Christ has done in my heart and my life, I have hope. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father God, we're so grateful for the gift of your word. 
We're grateful to gather as your church, Father, to be your body. Would you build us up into unity? Would you, Lord, be moving in the hearts of each believer this morning who you've convicted to take a step of faith, be that a trip, a talk, a testimony, Father, whatever that is, where you are moving in the hearts of your individuals. And Father, as a church, your body here, Lord, would you begin to develop within us the burning, the desire, the unquenchable need for us to reflect Christ to a community that is hurting and broken. Father, would you equip your church this week, even today, for next week when we practice together as a body, sharing what you have done in our hearts and lives. It looks like turkey, and it's going to be turkey, but there's going to be testimony about the power that you have shown in our weakness. Father, I pray against all of the excuses that the enemy has laid on each person's heart this morning. Whether it's an excuse to not place their faithful membership with a body of believers who claim Jesus Christ alone as King. Father, I pray against excuses this morning against repenting and turning away from a lifestyle that has declared that maybe Jesus isn't really important, but my reputation, boy, that's really important. Father, I pray that you would, that you would remove the excuses, that you would break the bonds and the chains that the enemy has put on our hearts as we want to express faith in the ability of the blood of your son to change our lives even today. Father, the gospel would be at work in our hearts and minds that we would be transformed into your image. Father, we pray that you would do that work in your church for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.